One of the major mistakes is picking tools because they're popular or other companies are using them as opposed to looking at the outcomes first. People have to do the work on the ground to actually say this dot and that dot connect with each other. And if you can't connect the dots, then what are you doing in the space? and welcome to Insight Story, tech trends unpacked for business leaders, the podcast that gives you the insight you need to make the right decisions about how to use tech to benefit your organization. I'm Susie O'Neill, and this is brought to you by Kaspersky, the cybersecurity specialists. This time we're asking, how do you get the best return on your tech investment? Now, CEOs and their management teams have always been responsible for setting the vision and strategy of their organizations to stay ahead of the competition. But now they must also navigate a complex landscape of brand new digital tools like AI, cybersecurity concerns, and the need to upskill their workforce. Investment in technology is essential to streamline operations, enhance customer experience, and drive innovation. But how do you make sure you're buying the right tech? And when you've got it, how do you use it to your optimum advantage? In a minute, I'll be joined by two people who spend their lives trying to answer these questions. Olivier Blanchard is a consultant who uses his commercial background to help companies make the right tech decisions. Plus, Arun Narayanan has led digital transformation for some of the world's biggest industrial names, including Anglo-American and Schlumberger. But first, what sort of impacts do tech decisions have on business? I need some stats. Hello, I am Dolly, your Insight Assistant. Dolly, perfect timing. I want to get an idea of the impact making the right decisions about tech might have on a business. What about introducing new tech successfully? According to Harvard Business Review, while 89% of large companies globally have a digital transformation underway, they have only captured 31% of the expected revenue lift and 25% of expected cost. But what about the costs involved? A recent study from the International Data Corporation found that large enterprises spend an average of $27.5 million on digital transformation projects. Wow, that's a lot. And what about the people who have to use the technology? I mean, what happens if they're not up for it? A 2020 report by Harvard Business Review said the failure rate for digital transformation projects was 70%. A study by ProSci found that nearly on in two digital transformation failures were attributed to employee resistance and a lack of change management. All right, thank you. There's clearly a lot at stake. So let's get some expert insights into how to make the right tech decisions and then make those decisions work. To give me that, I'm joined by first Olivier Blanchard, Research Director for the Futurum Group, a US-based consultancy that specializes in helping business leaders anticipate and understand shifts in their industries and build strategies that make the most of innovation, including tech. And Arun Narayanan, currently Chief Digital Officer for Renewable Energy Systems, or RES, the world's largest independent renewable energy company. And before that, his roles have included Chief Data Officer at Mining Group Anglo-American and VP Data Analytics at Schlumberger Software. Let's start with you, Olivier. What would you say is the biggest mistake that companies make when it comes to choosing and implementing new technology? I think one of the major mistakes is picking tools because they're popular or other companies are using them or they're in vogue, as opposed to looking at the outcomes first and then reverse engineering to the the solution. And the reason why is 
a solution might be good to solve the problem that you're trying to solve or to uh, to optimize your systems or to get to the next level, but it might not be well adapted to your particular company in terms of technical capabilities and your technical ecosystem, but also culture-wise. If your processes aren't in place, if your corporate structure is not in line with how that, that product will be used, it might not be a good fit for the company, even though it's it might be the best solutions on the market. So it's, it's kind of like a solution first and then looking for a problem it can solve as opposed to understanding the problems that you have and looking for the best solution to help solve those problems for you specifically. So turning to you, Aaron, you've been responsible for digital transformation and strategy and really some of those biggest companies in the world in mining and the oil and gas industry. What do you think about this scenario? I think the state of union of technologies that are out there afford a completely new way of doing your business. So before you go rushing around trying to figure out what that technology can do for you, just imagine that you had all the technology that you wanted just readily available and think about what are the differences that will happen to your business? How are you going to make your customers much more happier and delight them in new ways that you could not do previously? What are you going to do to keep your employees safe and make them as productive as possible? How are you going to try to return better economic returns to your investors and shareholders? And with that transformation in mind, try to imagine what the steps in your business process would look like first and then map on the technology work to make that business process work. Just easy examples in all of the industries that I've worked in, oil and gas and mining, and now in the renewable energy space. The key commonality between all of these is work is remote. It's not in the city center. It's not close to where most of the population is. So in successful scenarios, what they have done is they've said, we're going to have a remote operations center. We're going to dedicate a floor in the building and we're going to encourage people who are capable of doing the work but cannot travel these long distances and cannot spend three or four days or five or six days or even 14 days away from their families. And we're going to give them these information pieces on screens. But when they make a decision to do something, how are we going to actually enact that decision in real life all the way up to the asset? And that's an imagination of the business process first. And if that imagination is successful, then yes, you can make the technology pathway follow. There's a balance between what is operationally correct at the site level and what a remote center like a headquarters or a business center in a downtown can know and understand. And there's always a challenge in striking that right balance. And the ability to do that is what differentiates successful digital transformation from attempts that don't go all the way. That's striking that balance between the big picture and then the day-to-day operations and, and how that technology connects those two two pieces. Correct. Great. And Olivier, what kind of questions should CEOs or others in the C-suite be asking their CTOs when it comes to exciting them about these new technologies? Well, it depends where uh, where the company happens to be in its evolution and its digital transformation. So on the one hand, if you're still working on digital transformation in terms of trying to improve your company and, and be as competitive as you can be within the existing framework of your understanding of, of what your company is, then I think it's really about refining processes. It's about identifying problem areas that could be optimized 
So essentially, you're just turning your company into a better version or into the best version that it can be. There's another perspective to that, which is reimagining your business. And so the next phase of that evolution in that digital transformation journey is basically asking what next, right? How can we reimagine what our company is, what that framework is for the next 5, 10, 15 years? And there, that's when things become interesting because technology becomes a series of gateways to enable your company to expand into other uh, into verticals, into other technologies, into other services, and, and essentially really drive the evolution of your company as opposed to just a digital transformation. Absolutely. And Aaron, you said that it's important that managers stop categorizing issues as technology problems and instead think of them as business problems. Could you talk a bit more about that and how have you helped bring about that change of mindset in the companies you've worked for? Let's look at what a company is trying to do, right? There are KPIs for performance. This is how much they're spending on running their operations. This is how much money they're making. This is what their competitive strength is in the landscape. They really need to think about what problem it is that they want to solve. We're manufacturing something or we are trying to have trucks in the mining operation or we don't know where the oil resources are and we are drilling in the wrong location. The question then becomes a business question. How do we drill better? How do we drill more at the right target location that we'd hoped for? How do we understand the optimum number of trucks that we need to have in our mining operations? And so on and so forth. So once you understand the right business question to ask, I would then say that there is a correct order of what the technology is that you would go chasing after. In some cases, this could be just regular software from like the 1990s that will give you a beautiful answer. And that's what you should use. In some cases, there are no such applications available and modern day technology like AI could solve this problem for you. So then the problem is actually in the subset of the business context, not the technology context. So then there's a whole scale then though for CTOs to be thinking about how operational versus how innovative they need to be with technologies. Do they need to think more strategically about how they position technology in the company in order to meet those business goals and and come to the C-suite with more of a vision? I have a very clear answer for this. I would say they need to first be a business partner. I think their knowledge of the technology is the skill that they bring to solving the problem and is really not the driving force for the company. The company benefits from the fact that they have that knowledge and they have the team to support them. Olivia, what are your thoughts on that? What, where do you think businesses need to strike the balance between innovation and business as usual? I think of it as, as two tracks. On the one hand, a CTO is essentially the, uh, how do we make this happen chief officer, right? Where other business unit or business leaders go to the CTO and know that they can and say, okay, this is what I'm trying to do. What can you do to help me? How do we make this work? But then the other track is more consultative and and more proactive, which is the CTO, I think, has a role to advise those business leaders, those decision makers and say, look, I noticed that we do things this way. Have you thought about doing it that way? Having a more fluid connective tissue and and dialogue between the CTO and all of the other decision makers around the company is really important. IT was always trying to cut costs. How can we do things better? But mostly, how can we do things cheaper? The the transition that I've noticed in, in recent years is that because the IT departments are becoming engines of opportunity, they're no longer as pressured to lower costs as they used to be, especially if they can offset their 
IT investments by becoming a value center. It's not just an efficiency driver, it's a growth driver. And I think that's that's a, a radical mental shift that especially CEOs and COOs need to, to make because the CTOs might already be there, right? The good ones are. Uh, but sometimes the organization still doesn't really think about this because that might not be how they were operating five years or 10 years ago. Absolutely. And on the topic of people often underlooked in technology. So obviously it's a really big consideration when we're looking at emerging technologies like AI. And we've got to get our people on side, haven't we? And I read a a research piece recently that claimed that 70% of 1.3 trillion transformation budget was lost due to employee communications breakdown, which is a slightly terrifying statistic. And there are also those big fears out there of people losing our jobs. Elon Musk made another outlandish claim recently saying that the future won't involve any job at all for people. Um, so how, how do we align all of these things? How do we get our people on board and see that the tech is there to help them and not to, um, not to put them out of work? I think you really need to think about this as a calculator. Just because calculators came about, it doesn't mean that accountants no longer have a job. Accountants are able to do better jobs much faster because they're able to use calculators and Excel. In that journey of calculators and Excel, a generative AI solution such as a chatbot or a document generator or an image generator is a tool. And you still need the artistic bent in the thinking. You still need the customer service level. You still need the human touch. But the ability to do the mundane piece of it very, very quickly and then to do the artistic and the skillful and the human piece of it as it was necessary even in the past is what the goal is that we're seeking. You know, AI is going to reshuffle the deck uh, quite a bit. It it already is. We are kind of at at a weird, dangerous time, though, where... If too many CEOs, if too many decision makers focus just on the the cost cutting piece of AI, we could end up economically as a whole shooting ourselves in the foot by overshooting AI's capabilities and, and overshooting AI's purpose and eliminating too many jobs. I think a, a smarter approach would be to have more of a societal conversation, I think, an economic discussion about the pros and cons of AI how to cut costs without necessarily destroying, wrecking, or damaging economies uh, and the societies that depend on them. It's it's a different type of discussion. Uh, it's not necessarily the kind of discussion that an IT decision maker necessarily would want to lead. It's more policy-based. It's more foundational. Um, but it is nonetheless an important one to have. Yeah, And for companies to have, because they all play a role. All employers play a role in this. And Aaron, you've had a direct experience of integrating tech in an industrial setting. How do you approach this to really build the trust of people and get them on board on new technology programs? I strongly believe that many, many new jobs will be created as a result of the full technology change. The economic models are going to change, more jobs are going to get created and more jobs are going to get lost. Christmas is coming up. Last Christmas, the big thing that happened to all of us was OpenAI showed us the powers of ChatGPT. The fact that you know how to use the prompts in ChatGPT is a job that didn't exist exactly at this time last year. And it's a really well-paying job. And that's just the beginning of that space. It's not even like an established paradigm. So this brings me to responsibility, right? The responsibility of transitioning into the new space is yours. 
So the only person who can protect you in this transition is yourself. And the only tool to protect you in this transition is education. People are still going to need project managers. People are still going to need people who know how to communicate. People are still going to need HR people in these technology organizations. You don't need to be the technical expert to participate in this wave of technology transformation. The last role that I had in Anglo-American, they did take on through my department and an initiative to run a digital literacy program. It was a program that ran across the whole company. Understand that in mining companies, even basic high school education is not prevalent across the entire workforce. So for them to understand how computers work, how AI works and how cloud computing works and getting into the context of what these technologies mean for them was a big challenge. And we did create a beautiful digital literacy program that catered to the needs of people. From what I can recall, about eight to 10,000 people took the basic introductory program. About 300 odd people took more advanced courses within that where they dedicated themselves to let's say, what would be equivalent of a single course at a master's level program. A lot of companies like Udacity and Udemy provide these courses. We partnered with one of them to make these courses available to people who had a moderate amount of interest in this technology. And this really helped improve the trust equation because they knew what the work of the data scientists was and they knew what their work was. And the education really helped them bridge that gap and to improve the quality of the conversation and to improve the trust and the knowledge in that conversation. Amazing. That's a great way of helping to meet some of the skills gaps that we have in technology and digital roles is to actually upskill your your non-technical roles. And Olivia, when it comes to making sure that workforces are really on side, you've spoken in the past about the importance of creating that right company culture and about being in touch with your current and your future workforce. So how can board members help make that happen? Actually, whether it's a large organization or a, a small business, relationships matter. And understanding the business, understanding the industry, understanding all these nuances and and these building blocks, understanding even internally how all the pieces fit, how all departments work together, it's, it's very important stuff. And learning the skills that play into new technologies, whether it's AI or anything else, is much easier than it is to get somebody to understand your ecosystem and your industry and, and your culture. And so I think there's a cost benefits to trying to focus on employee retention and employee development. I think it's a better business strategy to develop the employees that you have and that you want to keep. You have to make a decision. And personally, I prefer cultures that focus on employee development and retention and on providing opportunities to learn. And usually those extend to the communities at large. So those companies don't just provide those opportunities for their employees. They also generally provide those types of opportunities to people who who shop and spend and live in the areas where they operate. And Aaron, you said that it's vital that people know that some initiatives in technology, they're going to fail, but also they might work and that both these eventualities need preparation. Could you explain more about that? So if you're looking at digital transformation and you're setting out a bold vision around reimagination, it's very likely that you're making guesses as to what the future is going to hold for you. And many of those guesses are going to be true and many of those guesses are going to be false. So I think if you create too rigid of a structure where there isn't room for failure, then I think you automatically cancel out the opportunity for people to take risk at the innovation level. So I think it's the critical way of thinking about it and encouraging people to say, 
I imagine the world to be like that in the future. Let me go make a bet and let me make a few calculated smaller bets rather than one big bet and see if I can make some of those smaller bets succeed. Even if some of those fail, it would come out to be a better equation for the company than not having taken those risks. You know, I heard this saying once, right? What is the purpose of the brakes in your car? Usually answer the question incorrectly by saying the purpose of the brakes is to help you stop the car. That's the completely wrong answer. Purpose of the brakes is to allow you to go very fast. Similarly, the culture to fail in a responsible, calculated, communicated manner is what helps you go fast. Uh, we like to conclude every episode of Insight Story with a, a golden nugget of insight that we can give to our C-suite or CEOs. Um, we, we know that everyone's already on that digital transformation journey, but if they're thinking really about how do they get the best return on investment, what's the first thing or the most important thing that they should be thinking about? Let's start with you, Olivier. I think industry partnerships. You don't have to buy all of your technology anymore. You don't have to take that risk. You don't have to you know, invest in it up front. Increasingly now, thanks to cloud services and other managed services, you have fantastic industry partners that can come in and help you test new solutions through your organizations or implement them, upscale what you have. And I think that's a really good option that companies should adopt to, first of all, broaden their access to technologies and to solutions, but also to mitigate the risk of these technology investments so that they can focus on the right types of risk to Arun's point and fail faster to succeed sooner. Great. So in the right partnerships in place. Yeah. And Aaron, same question to you. What is the first step that we should be thinking about? I would say it's employee empowerment around innovation, cutting through corporate communication layers and trying to find partnerships between business units, subject matter experts, data scientists, data experts, so that they can create prototype solutions, or at least imagine what that looks like. Trying to accelerate customer-centric discussions with people who are in the front line, talking to customers, salespeople perhaps, and trying to make sure that you're uplifting everybody's skill levels and creating an innovative space where you create new departments that didn't exist that focus on delivering data or delivering insight from data or delivering transformative AI solutions that change the way the company works. It's not going to manifest itself because a CEO thought about it or a CTO thought about it. People have to do the work on the ground to actually say this dot and that dot connect with each other. And if you can't connect the dots, then what are you doing in the space? A big thank you to Olivier Blanchard and Arun Narayanan for their insights into how to get the best return on your technology investments. Now, we know that as new technology arrives, so do new threats to our online safety. Providing protection against those kinds of threats is, of course, what Kaspersky is all about. So to give us some insight into the cybersecurity implications of digitally transforming your business, especially your workforce, I'm joined by Dr. Armin Hasbini, Head of Research Centre, Middle East, Turkey and Africa for Kaspersky's global research and analysis team known as GREAT. So, I mean, successful tech adoption needs to be supported with cyber hygiene training, which means getting everyone upskilled in cybersecurity best practice. So how well are companies doing that? 
According to a recent study between Kaspersky and Longitude, our, our partner, we, we found that the organizations that emphasize cybersecurity threat landscape trainings have 25% more readiness than traditional organizations when dealing with cybersecurity incidents coming from employees, which means that more training allows for better readiness to deal with cyber threats. And that can save the company a lot of money, can it? Because we do know also that threat incident can cost companies hundreds of thousands, if not even millions of dollars to, to repair. So what sort of tips would you advise uh, the enterprise level company to think about to get all of their employees upskilled? So gaming and VR is becoming a great way to plan security trainings and to offer security trainings because you deliver the training and it's gamified, which allows better engagement and better learning as an end goal. I think our past uh, gamification and uh, competition challenges, uh, especially in a VR setting, have proven to enhance efficiency of managers and directors in taking better decisions towards uh, safeguarding their organizations. So some of the businesses we've talked to in the past are using different training aids and platforms uh, to provide employees with different use cases so they can recognize different ways of cyber attacks. Um, have, have you had an experience seeing how that works in practice for businesses? Yes, yes. And I think the most successful are the ones that we offer as what we call uh, wargaming or uh, simulations of real attacks happening on the organization. And only a few people like from top management know about these usually because we need approval, of course. And uh, then these uh, try to uh, emulate like large incidents and test the defenses and the capacities of the employees within the organization and how teams coordinate and cooperate together in order to contain and close down uh, an incident. And is this just something that the IT security team should be training in or should it go wider beyond that IT team? Security is the job for everyone, from normal employees at the desk in a very remote office to the top uh, managers inside the organization. Without having everyone aware in the cybersecurity problems that could occur, uh, an incident could get very big before it reaches the IT security people. So cybersecurity is everyone's job, effectively. Um, some years ago, Gartner put out a piece of research saying that 35% of enterprises would have a cybersecurity champion program. So holistically, within the organization, cheerleading and supporting. But there doesn't seem to have been much follow-up to that lately. Do you think businesses should still be keeping this initiative and focusing on it? Or do you think that cyber security has become business as usual nowadays? I think every organization wants to verify the return on investment. And in security, it's hard to justify a budget, as you probably already know. And that it becomes difficult for organizations to justify increasing budgets for cybersecurity, especially when budgets are being approved by top managers. And top managers are not necessarily aware of the latest difficulties confronting their organization in terms of cybersecurity. Thank you very much to Amin. If you're enjoying these kinds of insights, we have so many great articles in Secure Futures, Kaspersky's digital magazine about innovative tech for innovative leaders. We've got a guide to choosing the right tech for you, not just the coolest tech. Advice from Heathrow Airport on how to upskill a complex organization in cyber awareness. And articles from this season's insight story, including quantum computing and the industrial Internet of Things. You can find the link to Secure Futures in the Insight Story show notes. 
As Armin explained, if you invest in new technology, you also need to invest in upskilling your teams to be cyber aware. Threats like social engineering are on the rise and turn your employees into open doors into your IT system. Don't fear, though. Kaspersky is here to help with online training programs, from an easy-to-set-up security awareness platform for your employees to expert-led training for your InfoSec teams. There's even a VR cyber attack simulation tool. Very cool. To find out more, click that link in the show notes. That's it for this edition of Insight Story, Tech Trends and Pact, brought to you by Kaspersky. Search for us wherever you get your podcasts and click follow so you don't miss an episode. And you really don't want to because in this series, we're diving into the ethics of AI, finding out how you can take advantage of the industrial internet of things while keeping your system secure and gazing into the future of quantum computing. Plus, if you're liking what you're hearing, please leave us a rating and give us a great review. It really helps people find us and get the benefit of all this fantastic insight. If you want to get ahead, you really can't afford to miss it. Till next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, so Dolly, I just want you to know that I'm very glad I invested in you. Oh, thank you. I think you've more than paid for yourself. In fact, I'm wondering if we should be thinking about an upgrade. Hi, Insight Story listeners. Ghislaine Boddington here. Are you ready for an immersive journey through the past, present and future of the technologies that shape our world? Look no further than the second season of the award-winning podcast from Tomorrow Unlocked by Kaspersky, where we bring together global experts to delve into the latest advancements and trends. Across season two, we cover a range of fascinating topics, including women in gaming, the ever-growing prevalence of data in and out of the home in telegram to telepresence, the metaverse, the concepts of extended self and digital health in Extended Self, Our Future Digital Twins, and the world of cyborg and embedded technologies in cyborg shifts. We also celebrate the contributions of women in STEM and discuss the need for greater representation in the field. Whether you're interested in digital well-being or the latest innovations, Fast Forward has got you covered. So why wait? Search Tomorrow Unlocked Fast Forward on your smart speaker or your favourite podcast platform and join us on this incredible journey. (laughs) 